The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Draft. If you love fantasy baseball, then you need to try our new favorite app called Draft. It's daily fantasy baseball, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you play live snake drafts with other people just like in your season-long league. Drafts last just for one night. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Just set it and forget it. And the best part, you play for cold, hard cash and get paid out the next day. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. Trust me, I love playing drafts. I play golf. I play NFL, basketball. You can play um, three. Uh, you can play head-to-head, three-man, six-man. There's, there's running leagues. You win one night. It keeps going for four, five, six nights. You can play a dream team. There's all kinds of great ways to play draft, and you can join me today. Just search draft in your app store or, or play right from your computer on draft.com. And when you enter promo code SD Sports. You got to enter the promo code SD Sports. You get a free entry into a real money baseball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money game for free just for using the promo code SD Sports when you make your first deposit. Just again, search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and enter the promo code SD Sports. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 97 uh talking to fantasy baseball with a good friend of ours he's been on the show a couple times he should know his voice and heck if you just pay attention to the fantasy world you've seen him pretty much or heard him everywhere so <laughs> if, you, if you don't know him yet you can find him on twitter at lance brozdowski b-r-z-d-o-w-s-k-i and i'll let him tell you all the places he's at because i can't oh, even keep track of him but uh, lance how we doing man Doing great, man. Doing great. A little late here on a, on a Monday night, Memorial Day here. We, we were both talking about some of the Game 7s that were going on. Game 7 and the Game 1 of the Cup Finals. So we're going to be talking some baseball, though, which is nothing to do with basketball or hockey. So 
Be nice. Yeah, but hey, hey, screw it. Real quick, uh, I know, I believe you're you because you're in the Boston area. Are you a Celts fan? I'm assuming. No, I'm not actually oh. from Connecticut. So I'm a Knicks fan. So just leave Gosh. me in my misery. But uh, I had a bet on the Rockets, so I, I'm pretty bummed right now. But I got oh. over. It. You can't, you can't, you know, you have short term memory if you're betting anything and being dumb enough to bet anything. And that's me. So especially <laughs> basketball. Um, yeah, exactly. But okay. But who who do you, who do you have in the NBA Finals? Uh I got to go Golden State. I want to see it go seven, though. I just want to see it go seven. But I just, like, Curry and Durant were so locked in tonight. I just – I had this moment where I was just like, you can't beat them. Like, if, I don't even care if you're LeBron. Like, even if even if you consider Curry and Durant, like, 75% of LeBron, you have two of them. So, therefore, you know, simple math, you have 150% of LeBron. So, I, man, I don't know. Golden State, Golden State. Yeah, I'm with you. When those guys are locked in, it's basically unstoppable. It's yeah. just not happening. So uh, maybe LeBron can go to Philadelphia or somewhere next year. We can get a big, <laughs> yeah. uh, a big rivalry going. But uh, yeah, let's talk some baseball. And first off, before we do, let everybody know where they can find all of your work, which you have plenty of. Yeah. So everything's run through Twitter, pretty much. So at Lance Brosdow, B R O Z D O W. Um, first seven letters, of my last name there. I think if you search Lance Braz, I probably should come up. I doubt there's many other BROZs out there that are also Lance's. Trying to get Instagram going a little bit too. I'm at Lance Braz there. Just Braz, no doubt, on the end of that. I write for Big 3 Sports. That's the site I own and operate. I'm going to be kind of changing that up in a bit. Razzball, I have a column that comes out every Monday. Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network is a really cool company that I, I edit for right now. On the, I'm an editor-in-chief, and I run all the content stuff. I have a pod there. I'm doing the podcast with Razzball with Ralph Lifshitz. He's a really good prospect guy, really good friend of mine. He's the man. Um, we do prospect. That comes out every Saturday. And then I actually jumped on with Viva Albertos, which is I'm a Cardinal fan. I try, try to be a relatively unbiased Cardinal fan. So I'm from East Coast. So I consider myself an East Coast Cardinal fan, which maybe isn't as bad as the Midwest ones I know some other people interact with and really don't like. But I swear I'm the East Coast Cardinals fan. And uh, um, I write for Viva Albertos now. I'm a staff writer. So I have a column that comes out every Wednesday for them. Um, I just a bunch of stuff. Follow me on Twitter is, is the main thing. And I'm trying to get Facebook going and some other stuff too. But Twitter is Twitter's my domain. I love Twitter. Yes, I highly recommend following him. He does all kinds of great gifts. He goes to all these ball games. He's uh, recording tonight because he's going to games Tuesday and Wednesday. He's like he's he's a busy, busy guy. And <laughs> let's talk about one of the guys you've seen, and everyone's going to say, "Oh, he talks about Vladdy." Yes, we love Vladdy. Vladdy's great. I don't know what else we could say about Vladdy. Like we get it. He's awesome. He's going to be here eventually. So I want to ask you about Bo Bouchette because this is a guy that come you know, into the year. Everyone's saying that's like the twosome down there. But Vlad's, in many's opinion, has overshadowed what he's been doing. So you've been seeing him. What is your takeaway from Boba Shed compared to like, okay, not compared to Vlad, but when can we see him? What are we expecting from him? Yeah, it's a little bit different. I think that the biggest thing is like we see what Vladdy's doing, and he's basically the same as same age as Boba Shed. So everyone almost expects the the production to be as high as, as Vlad, but the reality is that what Vlad is doing is relatively unprecedented at, at pretty much any level and. Bobuchet is is a very very good player. I I've had the pleasure of watching him multiple times. I'm going to see him Wednesday night. Uh, I'm actually moving out of Boston, so I think it'll be my last time seeing Bone Vlad with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, which is just a walk in the park away from where I am out in Boston. But uh, um, yeah, he's an unbelievable player. I think that there's a lot of ways you can kind of tackle the Bobuchet conundrum. The way I look at it is probably maybe a little bit different than what other people expect because in the prior years, what we had with Bobuchet when he was on Dunedin and a lot of the other teams is we saw a kid who was immensely talented and extremely good contact hitter. He was batting like in the three fifties. And I know he batted like 400 with the rookie ball or something like that. He jumped up. He was like three something with Dunedin, but I actually think he's one of the guys you get in the minor leagues that 
might actually become a very different player when he hits the major leagues. And you don't see this too, too much. You generally see skill sets mature in the minor leagues, and then you eventually get that skill set up at the major league level. But I think it might be the inverse with Bo Bichette. He has a lot of raw power that is has continually impressed me. And one of the knocks I had on him before I saw him live was that he has a is a slight adjustment when he gets two strikes, where he has a, is a pretty big leg kick. He's got a pretty heavy bat wrap, too, but his bat speed compensates for it. I'm not too worried about that. But he has this really big leg kick that he uses in non-two-strike counts. And when he goes to this kind of goes into a two strike count against a pitcher, what he does is he shortens up and he basically doesn't lift his front foot. So he's right. So he doesn't lift his left foot and he keeps this planted, but he replicates his upper body so, so well in, in comparison to the non two strike counts that what you get is basically his power somehow is able to flourish with much less of a leg kick, much less involvement of his lower half. And generally everything that the, that the world knows about hitting and about front foot hitting is that, if your front foot is down early, it generally saps some of your power. Actually, your exit velocity is is actually, I think, inversely tied to like a getting into mechanics really deep here. But like when you're when your upper body fires, like you and you and you throw your weight forward. If your front foot's down earlier, then it's sapping some of that momentum towards the ball. And so and that's why you see like front foot hitters are generally more contacted. You see this with a lot of guys, and sometimes you'll see kind of breakouts. Like actually, Otani's been doing this recently, which I didn't even notice. I'd be really interested to look at his exit velocity differentials from when he started with the leg kick to now, where he's kind of just in a strict toe tap, really short off the ground. But with Bobichet, it's just it's fascinating me because I've seen him double, I've seen him hit a home run, I've seen him hit some balls really hard in this two strike approach. In my Initial impression off of that is that he's going to have a lot more power than we're anticipating. We're seeing right now at the minor league level, at the major league level. So you could kind of get a bunch of range of outcomes from him, depending on who you're talking to. You, a lot of people, I think, just kind of assume he's going to do what he did in Dunedin and bat 300, hit like 10 to 15 home runs at the major league level. I think I actually see more like a 270 hitter with like 25 home runs. And it's it's a strong deviation from what we're seeing right now, but he's really young. I think his raw power is extremely underrated. The kid is really good. He can take it short, too. From what I've seen, he's better than I, I Brendan Rodgers is the guy I've seen a lot. He's the prospect shortstop kind of third base infield, the guy from the Rockies who I've seen a ton on Hartford. And Bichette's better at short than than Rodgers. And I, I think I think that that's a testament to him sticking there probably for a longer time. I know Ben Badler, who's a big Baseball America guy, kind of agrees with this as well. So, um He's unbelievable. I really, really have enjoyed watching him. He's definitely overshadowed by Vlad, but I think that's more of a testament to what Vlad is doing than what Bo is doing. Like, he's young, and it's going to take some time. Like, I know that he's kind of struggled of late. He's kind of kicked back into gear a little bit. Um, I think that it's just, you know, it's time. He's kids 19 years old. If it takes him, if it takes him until like 2020 to actually break in and be good, I'm completely fine with that. I think that's the thing. It's like, we, we're going to give Vlad probably another month or two, and everyone's going to be like, oh, Bo's next. And then, like, if, if, if Bo doesn't break camp next year, I'm not going to be stunned, you know? Like, I know, I think he's going to season for a while in double A this year because he needs it. He swings and misses a lot. I think that his walk rate's actually up a little bit, but he's still can around like 20% of the time. I think that's just going to tick up as he faces better pitching. But the, the product is really good. I think the upside is sneaky, sneaky high here. He's like a top 20 prospect for me if I had to re rank right now. I think I had him right probably in that window with my last top 100 prospect list that came out. But I like him. I, I've seen him a lot to the point where I'm kind of I'm kind of buying most of the tools. I just think I see a little bit of a different finished product than other people. No, I like that point you made is people need to realize Vladdy is a testament to what he's doing yeah. at ni- at 19 years old. It's like only a few people – like Juan Soto doesn't even count to me because he wasn't supposed to be here. He's here because Victor Robles got hurt. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Soto's still really, really good. Don't get me wrong, but – he started out in low A for crying out loud this year. Like he should he's not have been there. Through man, he's he's yeah, another he's one. I was actually going to see him tomorrow, and I'm going to see Harrisburg in 
uh, in Hartford is, is the game I'm seeing there. And I actually expected oh, to see Juan Soto there. And he got called up a week ago or whatever. And I was like, of course, that ruins that game. But I think Daniel Murphy's on a rehab assignment. So I guess well, Daniel Murphy cool. from Juan Soto, swap. <laughs> swap, there you go. Yeah, but uh, it, it's good to hear that about him. You mentioned Brendan Rodgers. I was going to ask you yeah. about him. You brought him up. Um, I saw him in single A last year. And he's playing for Lancaster. He was over here in, uh, in nice. San Jose. And uh, he, he shocked me. He was just his talent level was definitely above the level he was at there. Now, double A, obviously getting more mm-hmm. uh, a talent level, talent, talent pool, some would say. Um, so, do you think you're just saying Bichette's the better defender or the better all around ball player than Brendan Rodgers? That's a good question. I think, uh, who that's tough. I think I have Bichette above Rodgers on a prospect list if I had to rank him right now. Um, Brendan Rodgers is really interesting to me because I actually. I saw him perpetually on lists inside like the top 15, top 10 for a while. And my impression with guys in that range of prospect land, I guess you could call it is, is when I see them live, I expect to be like blown away to some extent. This happened when yeah. I saw Miguel Sano a while back, he blew me away. Um, when I saw him, just the raw power in him, Francisco Lindor too. At the time when I saw him, he was just a pure contact hitter with an amazing glove. He, he was thoroughly, thoroughly impressive. And when I saw, when I saw Brendan Rogers last year for the first time, I wasn't like blown away with what he was doing. And I think that's maybe soured me a little bit last year. Okay. And then I come into this year and I head out to Hartford and he looks a little bit different to me in terms of what he's doing presence wise at the plate. And I've kind of come to the conclusion, seeing him now kind of two years, seeing how he's developed. I I love his swing. He's got one of the most fluid swings, like Mm -hmm. in the minor leagues. I think when he gets to the major league level for a righty, like a lot of the righty swings are choppy and just not really too fluid, but I mean, Rogers has like as fluid a swing as you see in most lefties. And I, I love that about him. I think his contact profile is unbelievable. I know everyone's saying he's got to walk more. Some of the some of the counters of that was that he was simply getting too many good pitches to hit. I think we've kind of realized now that he's probably just never going to walk a lot, which is fine because he's going to be able to hit the ball. He's gap, gap guy. He's shown a little bit more power this year, which I liked a lot. I've seen him hit a couple home runs. He squares the balls really well. I think he's an unbelievable talent. I don't know if he has the range for short. Um, I see him more as a second baseman. Um, third baseman, I'm not sure. He was actually playing there the other week when I saw him, which was interesting. I think he threw a ball away. Um, but I, I don't want I don't want to overact on a small sample like that. But I see him as a second baseman. I see him as a long term second baseman for the Rockies. I think he's an above average player. I think that the ceiling is limited in terms of what he'd be able to produce long term. Bichette's ceiling, I think, is is very high in terms of what he'd be able to kind of output as a player in terms of sticking at shortstop, being a plus defender putting up possibly 25 home runs with the plus defense is something you're not going to see a lot. I, I expect Rogers to end up being a second baseman long-term and sit right on that 20 to 22 ish kind of power window, pure power, I would say, and maybe cores can inflate that a little bit. And he's going to be a really steady player. I think he's an everyday regular. And that's, that's an endorsement from the prospect perspective. I know a lot of times you prospect oh, yeah. hunt and you're like, I just want this guy to be the next like Acuna or Vlad Jr. It just doesn't happen a lot. It's the thing. Like when you said the expectation is too high, you're generally going to be disappointed. And I, I'm setting him, I feel like, just baseline very nice for Ben Rogers. And I, I'd be pleasantly surprised, surprised if he plays over what my expectations are for him. I think he's an everyday regular. I don't think the ceiling is as high as Bichette. And for that alone, I'll take Bichette. But if, if you had to put either of those guys in the major leagues right now, I'd say Brendan Rogers is a little more successful. I think he's a little more polished. But I'm betting on more of the development for Bichette. No, I completely agree with that. What I've seen from Rodgers, he seems if he had to make the jump, like say Juan Soto, I think he mm-hmm. could he could tread water right now. It wouldn't be overwhelming. Yeah, he'd be like a two sixty two seventy hitter. He'd hit fifteen exactly. home runs and he'd be solid. Like exactly. I, I don't know if he could play him playing like uh 
was it Pafalika probably at second? They moved Ryan McMahon there the other day. Like that's mm-hmm. weird. Like Ryan McMahon bat wise is, is going to be a plus plus second baseman just because his profile is so weird. But mm-hmm. like if they want to move him back to first base and eventually bring up Rogers, like I, I think he'd be fine right now. Um, he should be up at AAA soon. He's been playing really really well in Double A, so he should be in Albuquerque in no time. Um, would be my guess, and I'd be really interested to see where they position him in Albuquerque because I think that's going to be that's going to be a little bit more predictive of where he'll play at the major league level. No, and that makes sense because they do need a sh- well. They have Trevor Story still, and he's yeah. young, and they they have Lemayhew, and he, and I could easily like like you said, if you told me he's going to be a successful baseball player, heck, if he's going to be another Lemayhew with a little more pop, you take that in a heartbeat. Like that's yeah, like okay, yeah. we're in, let's go. And it makes sense second base because a you got Arenado already at thirty, and yep. they might not be able to resign him. But what I did see in that ball game uh, this year, I actually saw their triple A team or single A team also. And they have Welker playing what, yeah, Walker, Walker. Walker, yeah, yep. Welker playing third base. And this kid got he has a glove and an eye at the plate. That's uh, very very exciting to watch. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he's raw. He's a fun prospect. Very right? raw. I did notice, like you could see there's a lot there. That whole team, like I could go on a diatribe about them. I talked about them on another podcast. Nice. I was very very impressed with some of their guys. If you look on like the MLB top thirty, yeah, it's like. Fernandez, uh, who's been back-to-back players of the week for the pipeline, and um, uh, Willie Abreu playing the outfield. This kid is power, speed, cannon of an arm. Absolutely shocked what I saw there. Wow. They have a first baseman that might hit 40 bombs but strike out 150 times. <laughs> um, this team, like, it's Coors Field bat, basically. Um, Love it. They have some interesting single-A talent there that, that kind of surprised me because I always – I'm not nearly as in-depth with the prospects as you guys sure. are. And I'm, I'm trying to. I really enjoy them. I just don't have the time to do it. But um, so I, whenever I go to a game there in San Jose, I go and I check out the top 30 list. And I remember going to that game going, damn, there's really, like, nothing flashy here. Yeah, right. And it's, then – Definitely, like, run into seasons where you get a bunch of guys in, like, an area. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, right now, like, New Hampshire hasn't yeah. had any good talent in so long. Like, I never have literally had the incentive to go up to New Hampshire to watch a game until this year when you got Kevin Biggio, these, all these other guys. Quickly, though, Forrest Wall, actually, did you get any looks at him? He actually just got called double-A. I think I'm going to get my first look at him tomorrow. Um, he's like a second-baseman outfielder. He got Yes, yes they moved him. He's a smaller guy, right? Yeah, he's shorter. They moved he him to center field. Lancaster. Yes, they moved him to center field. Uh, he's still hitting leadoff, and he is fast as fast okay. can be. Awesome. And it, I think it's a great call because with his speed – and that spacious Coors outfield, if you get him playing center field, that could be dangerous. Okay, cool. Um, I'm excited to get a look at him. Yeah, that Lancaster team surprised me because they, they really haven't been playing great ball this year, and they have some talent. And I, I would love to sit down and talk to this Abreu kid. He seems – he went to the University of Miami. I looked him up after, and, like, he has that you swag to him. And <laughs> I don't think I know much about him, honestly. On, I didn't know a darn thing about him, but I'm watching him pregame. He's got, like, his pants up to his knee. Hey, you've got a single leg games with these kids – are just like living out of a backpack. Sure. And um, he gets out there before the game, maybe 20 minutes before the game. All he has is his bat, and right above the rail of the dugout, he's doing uppercut swings so he doesn't hit the rail of the dugout, basically launch angle revolution to a T. <laughs> and I'm sitting there just watching this. And I'm like, okay, let's see what he does. First at bat, he gets on top of the exit view that had to be through the roof, line drive up the middle. Second oh. at bat, it hits a bomb to left center field. I'm just, And I'm like, opposite field home run. I'm just – the kid chalked me, and he stole three nice. or four bases that night. Like he was pretty darn good. So I'm going to say, I don't think I know much about him. I like you. Yeah, you're, I, I think some prospects here for me. <laughs> oh, I love one of my San Jose Giants games. I'm going to try to go tomorrow or Wednesday, maybe. But nice. uh, go check out Visalia. They actually have some talent on that roster right now. So yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention, and this is kind of I like kind of 
digging in deeper on these, it kind of opens up some more dialogue. Um, you mentioned the leg kick with Bichette, and the first thing I think of is his father because he had this massive leg kick, and you uh-huh. see the two of their swings. It's scary. Um, it's something I think you obviously see a lot more than I do. Do you think you're seeing this a lot more these days with the whole let's – three true outcomes. I don't care if I strike out 150 times, I'm going to go for the long ball. Cause it is true. Like you said, I played ball my whole life. If you could take a big swing plant and twist, you're going to hit with a lot more power than just tapping planting, and slapping. So are you seeing that more in your games or is this kind of like a case by case basis? I, I think it's case by case. I think a lot of things are unfortunately, but it's an interesting thing. I think that the biggest thing is just the adjustment side. It's something that I, I try to do. I toss out every GIFs. I toss out GIFs every Monday on my Twitter. They're kind of like looking at some guys who made adjustments. I like pulling out some MLB video and kind of chopping it up and stuff. And I really think it's more of an adjustment thing. And I think I think what you you're saying it has some merit. The fact that if you're if you're engaging your lower half a lot more, and a leg kick generally does that. And the other thing too is like there's such thing as inefficient leg kicks. Like I think late yes. in this part we're gonna briefly touch on the MLB draft and. Nick Madrigal has like a re- to me, and I know this is like a knocking a college player is going to go top five overall, but he's got a relatively inefficient leg kick in terms of his weight transfer, especially if you compare it to a guy like Altuve. Altuve's leg kick. I want to see a guy who's like sub five ten get his lower half into a ball. Like Altuve is the best in baseball at doing that and engaging his lower half with his leg kick. That is a fantastic leg kick for what he does because he maintains really good play coverage. His pitch recognition inherently is good, so it eliminates a lot of the balls that possibly some other guys that they're using their leg kick a lot. Think of like a Frenchy Cordero is a good one, actually, who last year had a ton of swing and miss. He's got a big leg kick, but he uses relatively well, but he still his pitch recognition is kind of borderline. I know he's made some adjustments this year to get him get up a little bit better, but it's really an adjustment thing. Like You'll see a lot of guys kind of change the depth of the leg kick it's more just almost like a barometer for how they're faring against the level and i think that the guys with massive leg kicks who are very successful at higher levels it's it's very impressive because that's a lot of movement in your body you need to have a lot of strength a lot of lower body strength a lot of quad strength etc to be able to hold your weight and center your weight and be able to stay back on breaking balls and you know jump on fastballs it's just it's evolution, you know? It's one of those things. Like, I did a piece on Andrew Kisner, who's a catcher for the Cardinals the other day, and he kind of – he had a leg kick in the in NC State when he played out there, and then he kind of shortened it. And then the other way around, like, you'll get – it's you'll get guys like Bichette, who, like, in this two-strike approach, goes to literally no leg kick. And Otani goes from leg kick to kind of a, almost a, a short toe tap. It's, it's, it's really interesting, you know? There's – I really think it's case by case. It really depends on the hitter and how he fares, how its pitch re- recognition is, I mentioned – um, you know, is he have trouble balls on the playhouses, play coverage, has his barrel path, a lot of the other things that are kind of around the periphery around a player that allow you to kind of understand what the impact of the light kick is, what the impact of an adjustment to the light kick could be too, is another huge, huge part, especially for a lot of these minor league guys, because you'll see a lot of inefficiencies in their swing. But, you know, I mean, I've been spoiled with some of the guys I've seen, like Rogers is polished, Vladdy's polished, Bobachet, even for I'm the, as of raw, I'm saying he's still relatively polished. Kevin Biggio too, another guy's really polished. So, it's it's interesting. That's a good point, though. No, no, no. Um, I th- I just think it's case by case. No, it makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about another guy that's quite polished, Walker Bueller. Yeah. Um, again, he, he wasn't expected to maybe have this much of an impact. Um, some thought because they they still need to probably limit his innings a bit this year, but so far so really really good. Um, mm. in in your takeaways you've done if, for people that don't, again for some reason don't know, Lance comes out. It's every. Wednesday morning, I believe. Yeah, uh, Wednesday morning. Um, he comes out with like is this? Uh, okay, I'm gonna. What's the title of it? I don't want to screw it up. Your thoughts? Yeah. So Pitch I do, I do this podcast, this two strike approach podcast. It's been kind of like just a body of my work, and 
I really like this thing I've been doing called Pitcher Thoughts. I just watch a bunch of baseball Monday, Tuesday night, kind of split it up, and then toss it out Wednesday. I don't think I'm going to have this one this week because I'm going to be out at games. Maybe I'll do something like about the minor league games, pretty more applicable. But uh, but it's fun, you know. And I, I I just dig into pictures, and I think it's I think it's cool to just kind of talk about them. And it's a solo pod, and it's just something I, I like yeah. running out there. But Bueller no, is one of my guys, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good because he, he breaks them down. It's like 10, 15 minutes or whatever yeah. on each pitcher, does the whole rundown. And, again, Walker Bueller, people love him. And what have you kind of picked up on what uh, Bueller has been doing to make it so effective so far? Yeah, I, I, it's command. Command is the biggest thing for him, and this is going to come up with most guys. And it's a general point, but it's just his command is unbelievable in terms of how he's able to spot pitches. And it's beyond the level of control. A lot of people control consider control as a classification of being able to throw strikes, command being able to put the ball where you want it, very simply put. But – the thing with Bueller that's most interesting to me is I wasn't sure where his fastball velocity would maintain when he jumped from the pen to um, uh, to the rotation this year. Because we saw him last year. We got some looks at him. And I know a lot of people were kind of like down on him a little bit. But he was pumping like 98, 99 with his fastball. And his pitch mix was a little bit off too. I know he's using his slider more on his curve, which was something I was a little bit kind of – I always thought that they were more balanced to pitches. And um, I think it was a little bit wrong on that. But I, I was just really interested to see like guys who go pen to start – and, and I know the Dodgers' long-term plan is for Bueller to be a star as opposed to a guy like like Josh Hader. Like, I think that the long-term pitcher for the Brewers might still be to make him a starter. But in, in terms of the short-term and how effective he can be, is, Hader still doesn't really have a third pitch, which I don't think a lot of people realize. But um, but that, it's just kind of that concept around how a, how a team's going to value a prospect. And I was most interested in that because we saw him as a, as a bullpen guy last year. And then we get him this year, and we know he's going to be a starter. So I was just tuned into where that fastball velocity was going to sit throughout starts and how he's going to mix all his pitches. and. His slider's been fantastic, and he's using that curve. The curve that isn't as good of a pitch, I think, that as, as maybe people are kind of grading it out to be. I know I've seen some gifs of it. Uh, I love Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Um, he's fantastic. And I think he gifed up a couple of Walker Bueller's curves, and they looked really good. But if you look at the kind of underlying stats around the pitch, it's a little bit loopy of a pitch, a little bit slow. I actually don't think it's sequenced well with the slider. But the thing that he survives with is that the slider's a very good pitch, and he commands it unbelievably, and he's able to fastball. He's able to spot his fastball basically wherever he wants um it's it's fascinating to watch him pitch i really like him i think his mechanics are really clean he's a polished vandy kid from vanderbilt um i I think he's one of the top arms in terms of youth in baseball you know i like there's a lot of other guys kind of who have a little bit more playing time and of a sample that i I, i'd be maybe a little bit more willing to buy in on but walker bueller in terms of guys who just debuted like he he was vying neck and neck with a guy like alex race who's going to start on wednesday for the cardinals like those were kind of like the two premier right-handed pitching prospects, and now we get the actualization of Walker Bueller at the major league level, and everyone's starting to see how good this kid's command is. Um, I think the biggest thing too is that you just didn't see much of a fall off from his AAA and AA stints as well in terms of where he was starting, which was impressive because you'll see a lot of guys who perform in AAA and then jump up and the stuff just isn't as good. Um, but with Bueller, the stuff's good. The stuff's really good. Um, I, I think he's only going to get better too because I think he's going to be able to develop that curveball a little bit more. I'd be really interested to see how his change of uses kind of changes a little bit too. I'm, I think, I'm sure he's going to have natural platoon splits in terms of being not less, not as effective with less left-handed hitters. And maybe that curveball becomes a little bit better of a pitch um, against left-handed hitters. It's probably, I, I just don't see it being that pitch. I'd love to see him eventually pull out that change up a little more. I think he's throwing around like 10% of the time right now, probably a little more left-handed hitters. But um, I think he's got the arm speed. And I know a lot of people look at command of fastball and how they're sequencing that pitch to then eventually go back to their, um, back to the changeup and see how the pitch develops. And if you do that with Bueller and you project it out, you're going to look at a pretty nice pitch. He doesn't have to throw it too, too soft either. He could sit at like 88 and still have a good speed differential between that change up and his fastball and be able to be successful. So 
I, I really like Beeler. Yeah, I really like what I've seen. You know, even if he hits some ruts, I think that the the substance and the baseline of what we have is is a very, very good young pitcher um, who's produced at the age of 20, what is he, 23 or something like that? I can check that quick. But, yeah, um, nice. I, I'm a big fan. He's fun. Yeah, no, he's outstanding. I got it right here. I got a fan graph pulled up. It's got to slide up to it. He is 20, he'll be 24 in July, in July. Okay, so almost so, 24, yeah. Yeah, he's darn good. His, like you mentioned, command being his big thing. His walk numbers are down. And one thing, you know, I, I like and many do is you look at the advanced stats is FIP, his ex-FIP, his Sierra, all of it very, very close to his ERA. So there's not a lot that he's doing that's like just magic to people. Um, he's actually getting it done. And you look at his pitch mix, you mentioned it. Um, the changeup's going – at this moment on Fangrass, you look at no, pitch info type, okay. almost 13%, which still not much. Like you said, or no, that's a curveball. Yeah, yeah. yeah change up's about 5%. That's crazy low. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I'm yeah. sure that's a little bit higher versus left-handed hitters. I could try to pull up a split chart quick and yeah, see. I'm around like eight. But uh, that's going to be a big pitch for him against left-handed hitters. I know that you see a lot of guys like – uh, Jack Flaherty and uh, Denelson Lament actually were two guys with fastball slider combos who started to bring in a curveball a little bit more, and everyone thought, oh, that's the key for left-handed hitters. And I agree, if it's, it's a different look. It's a different look for guys, and it's going to help that split issue out. But I don't think it solves it most of the time. When you solve it is when you get a guy like Luis Severino who adds a changeup, yes. solves that changeup, and then that pitches plus-plus. And then all of a sudden, you have literally knows his advantage. Uh, against any side of the hit, any handedness of hitter for Severino. And that's that's how you jump into like elite elite. So I, do I think Bueller can get there? Absolutely. I think he has the talent and command to do that. And uh, he's good. He's really good. I enjoy watching him a lot. Yeah, that, that change up for any pitcher is a great equalizer. And it should definitely be utilized. Uh, you mentioned the name, Alex Reyes. If you had to pick one of these two guys, say you're in a dynasty format of some sort, Ooh. Which one would you rather have? Because everyone is drooling at the thought yeah, of, of this Wednesday and Alex Ray is coming back. Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, I wish you asked it to me like three weeks ago when I could have just pulled the, oh, well, I haven't seen Ray's pitch in a while, so I can't. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, that's generally where I'm going to go. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm scared. Fan, I, there's a lot of bias. There's maybe a lot of bias in this answer. Um, oh, man. I think that – which so I'll go race, and it's going to be a bias Cardinal fan, whatever, but – what you have That's with fine. Reyes and what you've always had with Reyes is you have four pitches with Reyes, which I, I just you don't have a Bueller yet, and that's the biggest thing. And that's, that's almost all I'm going to say on that. When you get Reyes to start Wednesday, I'm really interested to see how he's mixing his pitches. He's fastball, curveball, slider change, and each of those pitches has been graded out above average, whereas with Bueller, you're getting plus-plus fastball slider, but the changeup in the curve is still kind of in a work in progress, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Reyes, even though you know he's got Tommy John and all this other stuff, but... Uh, they're both really good. I, I wouldn't be stunned if I honestly no, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I wouldn't be stunned if if Bueller is the better starter over the next two three years. You know, maybe maybe Reyes runs into more injury problems. Maybe just take some time to stretch out post Tommy John. I know Mosaic said he's not. They're not going to have an innings limit on him. That's and, what I was going to ask you. Are you yeah, concerned about weird. that at all? The funny thing too, actually, I was uh with Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. We have like a big group chat stuff, and then people are always tossing thoughts back and forth. And a lot of the management team there, we we have conversations baseball base. Outside of the company and stuff like that, and I was talking to one of the kids, and this was before I heard that mosaic report. And he tells me he's like, "Yo, what do you think of Reyes?" Like, blah blah blah. I know you you know about him and you've seen him. You're a Cardinal fan, whatever. I was like, "Yo, I really like him." Yeah, I'm just interested to see how and then he didn't any limit on him. And I say, oh, well, I don't believe that source. And then he goes, it was Mosaic. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, can I, look, can I look stupid or saying something in my life? But I just like, it just seemed odd to me. Like, the only, the only thing that I eventually came out and said was like, okay, so if they're saying that, maybe it's because they're starting him in June. Like, the max innings he's going to throw is going to be like 120. 
that's if he's throwing like exceptionally well for a long extended period of time. So like maybe there isn't an actual theoretical innings cap, but like if they started in the beginning of the year, they would have been an innings cap. Like they're not going to let him throw like 150 plus innings. You know, God forbid they may, he makes a couple starts in the playoffs. Carlos make a deep run in the playoffs. Like, I think he might step back on his word. And I know I'm debating Mosaic, whatever, but he's going to be good. <laughs> I thought this was uh, a funny He's going to be good. And I've heard a, an interesting philosophy for the Cardinals that I think could really work well. The, the rotation will be three guys. It'll be like Carmart, uh, Waka, and uh, Mikolas. Yeah. And then the yeah, other three of Weaver still. But you'll have Weaver. Yeah, I love but, that but, kid. But you'll have Weaver, Flaherty, and Reyes holding up the other two spots, and each time one will take that spot off. I heard that theory, to yeah. To limit yeah. innings. It's an interesting idea. I like it. I think, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's one of those things, like, it's a cool in theory, but, like, you as, as, as a baseball fan, do you expect six starting pitchers to stay healthy for an extended period of time? No. True. Like, someone's going to get hurt. Carmart already has a lat injury. I wouldn't yeah. be stunned if Nicholas, I don't know how many innings he threw out in Japan, but if he runs into something, you know, um, I just, I, it's a great idea. I think it's it's one of those things that like Carlos have always had unbelievable pitching depth. It's always been kind of one of those things with them. That's just, I mean, it, it's been a, it's been fantastic to be a Cardinals fan because of that, because you're not running into guys. Like I know they had John Gantt start the other day, whatever, but like, man, their depth and pitching is just always unbelievable. That that's what keeps them in games. And it's like, I'm fine. I'm mean, do whatever you want. You got six starting pitchers. Like let's go six, man, you know, run it. But I like the idea of kind of limiting uh Flaherty, maybe possibly innings wise and Reyes with that kind of, Weird six man, six four man rotation. I think I've heard it called or whatever. But yeah, yeah, six four man. That's what it is. That's what it Something is. Yeah. Like um, side note: six man rotation. Are Are you concerned at all that they keep kind of moving Otani starts around for quote unquote? Um, they want to keep his workload down because I'm well, sorry, pitching every Sunday shouldn't be a bad workload. I, I'd rather yeah. him not hit. The, I'm kind of concerned. I, I'm so the thing is, I think that honestly, if I had to like run through what Billy Epler was thinking in his head when 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 they looked at how much they use Shohei Otani in the first month of the season and they projected that usage out, I think they literally like got terrified at the results <laughs> and the fact that they're expecting this kid at 23 years old or however old he's 22 or whatever to throw 100. They were, I mean, what was his pacing after the first month? It was like 140 innings and like 300 at bats. Like, like that, yeah. I, if I was them and I was looking at that and then I expected my team to make the postseason, I would have stepped back and been like, you got to limit him. Like, you have to calm him down. We're playing really well right now. And Drelton Simmons is one of my guys. We're going to get into kind of some surprise bats. The kids that, that he's unbelievable. He's the third most popular, third most relevant player on that team. And he's been out of his out of this world in terms of his production. It's like you have all these pieces that are clicking right now. If I'm Billy Epler, I'm looking at that team, and I project out how much I'm using Otani in the first month of the season, which was great for baseball, honestly. Great for the one of the best stories in baseball the last 10 years, I would argue, is Otani doing and being successful at what he's doing. But you look at that projection, you project that out, and you get – I would have literally been terrified. Like you're expecting him to be two players, and then if you're at Billy Epler, you want to make the playoffs, and you want to make a run in the playoffs, and you want Otani there. And you add that into the projection, and you look at that workload on Otani and – I would be terrified if you want that kid to start in the postseason. What's that going to end up being? 160 innings and 400 plate appearances? Like, you, we done. The thing is, like, I talked to Will Carroll about this. He's an injury expert on Twitter, really good guy. He knows a ton about, he's super like innovative in terms of how he thinks about the injury side of things. And he believes that there's an eventual mold for a player to be an up the middle player. So, like, a shortstop, second baseman, center fielder, and pitch. But we have to mm-hmm. understand that we have to get it to the point where 
were okay with pulling a starter after like three or four innings and limiting yes. that workload on a weekly basis and being okay with him then going to center field and making a max effort throw three days after he pitched 70 pitches in four innings or whatever, you know? And that's the biggest thing. It's like, we just don't know how Otani's going to react, how his body's going to react. We haven't, we don't have any test cases. So like if I'm, again, if I'm Billy Epler and I see that and I go, that's great. We can use Otani this much, but do we have any idea how his body's going to react? Will he be susceptible to more injury in the future? Like, this is an investment for them. Like, the price they got Otani at is literally absurd. And I get the idea oh, of just running him into the ground. Yeah, it's like you could run him into the ground because you're like, well, the, the cost on the investment isn't too high. But in my opinion, it's like you want to maximize the value of that oh, over yeah. a longer period of time. God forbid something happens to, like, Trout or whatever in the next year, you know? That's my thinking about the whole Otani thing. Like, I think they just got terrified they were using him too much. And you look at that projected usage out, and you get you just don't know how he's going to react. So you got to slow it down. And like I get the whole that I would have loved him seeing him face Otani uh, Tanaka on that Sunday would have been great. Yeah. But if I'm Billy Epler, I don't care about that, and it's a hard thing to say. But like you're caring, you want to win a World Series as Billy Epler. You need to win a World Series. He doesn't care about any of the periphery of the Japan versus Japan stuff. As great as it is for baseball, he just doesn't care. And I'm fine with that. I think you have to look at it from his perspective, and we're not doing that too much. Okay. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm just, it's just one of those that makes me think once in a while because, you know, as great as he's hitting, I think he's a bigger asset on the mound. And I just, make, yeah, I wonder where they should be picking his days off, basically. No, but, I, I, um, yeah, the concern is warranted. You know, like it, you start to think, like, oh, maybe if they're not using him a lot, is he, is he hurting? Like, what, what is hurting? That's just, yeah. You know? It's just one of those questions that it's one of, I wouldn't be shocked if something comes out later, like, hey, he's banged up with this. Like, oh, yeah. okay, that makes a little more sense. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I agree with you there. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about RotoWare. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it, they're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The no other brand can compete with RotoWare in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy all the stuff they have coming out, and there's more and more stuff every time you turn your head. They have fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones, but everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at rotoware. But the cool part, guys, if you use the promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. All right, let's talk about some surprise bats. Uh, we're going to do three surprise bats, three surprise arms, three disappointing bats, three disappointing arms. We're basically two months into the season now, so we have a, li- a decent sample size. Not great. Depends on who's talking. Some want big, some want small. But um, let's, stop, let's start off with uh, give us one of your surprise bats this year. Yeah, I, I alluded to him very briefly there. It's Drelton Simmons. Uh, he's been unbelievable. I know there's a column, I think, written on the ringer a bit ago. Um, last year talking about whether you believed in Didi's breakout or in Drelton's breakout more. Mm-hmm. And everyone was kind of like, oh, I don't really know. Like, and Drelton's a better athlete, but Didi, you know, had probably a little more pop and hair and pop. Maybe go Didi, maybe go Drelton. I think it was like an even 50-50 split. And then it, it, the craziest thing is that we look at this year and they both have kind of improved. I know Didi's had a terrible May, but 
you know, if you I, I, you look at both guys and you're like, oh my god, like they're both playing out of their minds. And in Jonathan Simmons is what he's doing discipline wise at the plate is, I I don't even know like if we've seen this in the last like five years. I'm trying to think of a guy who walked or excuse me who who struck out five percent of the time or less. And he's, he's striking out 4.7% of the time last time I checked on Fangraphs. Like, that's just bonkers. He's got like a 400 OBP. He's hitting the ball well. His value on the offensive side of the ball, if he's walking that much, plus his elite defense is just – to me, it makes him, I think, possibly the most underrated player in baseball in terms of his production and what he's doing. Um, he's top five in war right now. I wouldn't be shocked to see that sustained, especially because of how much war loves OBP and some of these other things and just producing runs, being able to produce runs. But I love Andrelton a lot. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. Um, my first surprise bat will be Ozzy Albies, just oh, yeah. for the fact that you look at the NFBC ADP, ADPs, and depends on what your time frame was, but he was going about pick 110 yeah. by the time draft time rolled around. And this guy is a top five to top 10 fantasy player, depending on mm-hmm. what your peripherals are there, especially when it comes to the bats. And uh, sure. He's hitting uh, 270, and some might not think that's great, but still only a 274 Babbitt when he's been all through the minors in the threes, mid to low threes, uh, hitting with power, speeds there. He's already a two-war player, which is crazy. Um, and he was he was almost a two-war last year in 57 games. So this guy is as legit as an insanely good offense, leading off now with Acuna and company. Um, the sky's the limit for this kid. We, we thought he'd be good. You know, spores of the world and everything were all up on him. And I didn't think he'd be this good, but he's been amazing. And he's outshot all my expectations big time. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there. He's a fun one. Yeah, he's a ton of fun. The the, the, the helmet flying off, all the good stuff there. <laughs> Kid's awesome. Um, give us your second surprise yeah. bet. Uh, I, I don't know if it's too much of a surprise, but I think that the, the expectations around what Aaron Judge was supposed to do this year in terms of his regression is something that he's really bucked the trend of. He's like a 425 OVP guy. doesn't really matter that he's striking out 30% of the time. I think everyone was projecting him for like 240, 250 average. And I just – I was interested. I think I was a little bit more hesitant, hesitant in terms of, of dropping his production last year by that much. I just thought that what we were seeing talent-wise was a little bit more – unbelievable that I think we understood in terms of what he's been able to do exit velocity wise. His discipline was still exceptional around the board, even when he was striking out a ton. He had a weird rut in the middle of last year that I think I wrote a column speculating that that was almost solely based on his shoulder and, and his ability to not get to pitches in the upper third of the zone, which has always been a hole for him. And then he closed that off in the last month of the season, had a fantastic run to finish out the season. I know he didn't play too well in the postseason. I was really interested in that surgery he had in the offseason in terms of his shoulder, if that was helping his uh, the hole in the upper third of the zone, which is obviously it's, it, it's tough for him to get his hands extended there. But it seems like this year he's closed that hole off. He's even closed the hole off a little bit low and inside, which is, is another tough part for him to get extended through. But he's been unbelievable <laughs> – 425 as I just I almost just I think it's interesting what he's doing honestly like I just I didn't think it'd be this much better like if if Aaron Judge improved from last year or kind of diminished or deteriorated a little bit from last year I think more than 75% of the people would have said that he would have d- diminished a little bit and he hasn't he's improved and he's been thoroughly thoroughly unbelievable I love Aaron Judge yeah, no, I am thoroughly shocked with him because I, I was yeah. one of those guys not saying he'd be horrible, but I didn't think it was going to be possible to keep up what he was doing. Yeah, I was like, this is impossible. And he is, every week I'm waiting for that, like, slump to happen, and it, it really is not. He's, and it really takes into consideration when people talked last year that he had a messed up shoulder after the All-Star break, and he played through it, and it makes a ton of sense now. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy 
I'm going to stick with the Braves, and everyone's talking about him, so I almost didn't. But uh, Nick Markagis is a guy that oh, I just yeah. can't ignore. 13th season in the bigs, and he might make his first all-star team, which is pretty yeah. impressive. He is uh, hitting 340. One thing I really like to see is he's only striking out 9% of the time right now, which is just insane. Um, he's always been kind of that just poke and plotter guy, but he's he's hitting with power. He's driving runs. Nick Markagis, of all people, has a WRC plus of 153, which yeah. is just ridiculous when you're coming to Nick Markakis territory. So, again, like Ozzy Alves hitting in that order, he's already got seven homers this year, a two-war. He's basically been a two-war guy most of his career. He's had a couple big years, but, you know, a career 280, so you know the regression's coming. But, my goodness, like, even if he regresses to close to 300, it's going to be a tough slide for a while, but he's still going to have a very, very solid year. He's out producing everyone's expectations so far this season. Yeah, he's been crazy. He's your third. He's been crazy. My third is actually, I'm going to kick it back to you, uh, um, Brandon <laughs> Bell. He's been unbelievable. He's, he's another guy who I was surprised to see up on the war leaderboard here. He's like top 10, I think, in baseball. But the funny thing with me was I was looking at a lot of his peripherals and stuff like that. It seems like it's a little bit BABIP inflated, whatever. Like you, you could project that out however you want. The Giants have been hitting pretty well of late too. But, you know, it seems BABIP induced. He's actually, his peripherals don't look great, but it, they're kind of just – almost what they've been for the last couple of years. And I think a lot of the people were expecting for the last couple of years, the production just to be better. So I want to kick it back to you here. I, I think I'm kind of neutral on Brandon Bell in terms of what we've seen, but he's already produced at the almost over the value he had last year for the entire season. So is this a, do you see this as kind of like a, an actual breakout for him? Or do you think it's just kind of more like a hot stretch and he'll cool off, but still be valuable? This to many will be a breakout. I um, non-bias aside, Mm-hmm. I've always been a huge Brandon Bell Love Swinty swing before, and he's got that. Um, he's always had the glove to keep him in the lineup, which has helped in his early days when he struggled. But he's always got these fluky injuries. It was, you know, three or four years ago, he gets hit in the hand, like in the first series against the Dodgers, and his yeah. hands messed up all year, loses all power. The concussions were scary as heck last year, and that killed him. Uh, I think this is legit. And you look at his BABIP, and his BABIP's been high a lot of his career. He's shown power all throughout the minors. It's never really happened this year. And he gets AT&T to death. People forget that. That's yeah. a tough uh, tough ballpark to play in. But what he's doing right now, I think, is very sustainable. Uh, if he goes in a slump, it won't be massive just because he's a good pure hitter. He knows the strike zone better than almost anybody I've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. He takes all kinds of pitches. And there's a lot to say about that from a kid. He's, he is 30, so I guess he's not a kid anymore. But um, I've watched him since he was a kid. And <laughs> he's very, very, very talented. And I think this could be legit without getting too deep into all the, the stuff about him. He's putting together a really, really good season I think won't, uh, won't disappear anytime soon. I like it. I like it. Who's your third? My third is Mitch Hanniger. Yeah. Mitch Hanniger of the Seattle Mariners. I was trying to get a little off the wall with the third one. Um, I was looking at Javi Baez, I'll be honest, but because uh, I was really down on Javi Baez. But uh, Mitch Hanniger is just having one of those seasons. If I can get fan graphs there to load here, it's been very stingy with me. But um, <laughs> there we go. He, um, he's got the double-digit homers already, and sure, his BABIP is high, because that's what everybody loves to point to. Is this guy's BABIP that, this guy's BABIP this. But um, he has to be important in the middle of that order right now. He's going to get everyday playing time. It's always been a concern with the Chanager. For those who forget, he was a part of that uh, Arizona Diamondbacks trade 
uh, for Taiwan Walker, but hitting 280, I think is very, very sustainable. If you look throughout his career, when he's been healthy and gotten enough playing time, he's been around a 280 hitter. Uh, the power is kind of out of nowhere, so that's the concern, but he's stealing bags. He's uh, walking 12% of the time. The K rate would like to drop to, uh, from 21.6, drop down a little farther would be really, really nice. But uh, I think mo- most of the peripherals are very sustainable with Mechaniker. The split-wise, obviously, it's lefties with a ton of power compared to righties. But he's, he's developed a knack for hitting righties as well, which gives him that everyday playing time. I think a full season of Mechaniker can be very, very productive. And you're seeing a guy that can be 25-plus homer power on a regular, and you weren't drafting that preseason. Oh, spot on. Uh, let's talk your surprise arms. Who is your first surprise arm? This is a good one. <laughs> oh, it's the easy one. Yeah, it's the, it's the low-hanging fruit of Garrett Cole. Uh, yeah, so I broke him down actually with uh, Walker Buehler on that Pitcher Thoughts podcast I did. Um, interesting because I actually enjoy the comp between the two. And I'm not comping between them, but in terms of where their curveball sit is, you know, we were talking a little bit about Buehler, and I think he's got to develop the curveball a little bit more. One of the keys that I think we're overlooking with what Cole is doing is that his curveball has been fantastic as a third pitch. Like I'm jumping past the fact that his, everything on his spin rates up and he's, he's elevating unbelievably well. And the fastball is basically untouchable the slider, but command on the pitch is basically untouchable. The movement is exceptional. He's a delight to watch, but that curveball as his third pitch has been great. It's been a fantastic pitch for him. I actually speculated preseason that before he broke out that I actually thought that the changeup, and I always go to changeups, but I thought that a changeup was going to be the thing for him. And uh, I wrote that, I think for like BP Bronx or something, but um, I was just interested, you know, because he was a target, I think, of a lot of teams, and I thought that the changeup was the key, you know, just because he'd be able to mitigate some of the damage left-handed hitters could do against him, but um, he's been unbelievable, you know, as I said, the, the spin rate's up off the board. But I think the Astros just know something that other teams don't know in terms of pitching, in terms of the, health, the, the people they have in-house that are just unbelievably smart on the analytical side of things, and able to slow down video and pick things out, and Verlinder last year said that, like, Detroit had nothing like what Houston had in terms of being able to see his release point on the pitches, spin, spin efficiency. This is something a lot of guys are getting into. It's necessary, I think, to be able to adjust and to succeed at the major league level. And Cole's just capitalized on it unbelievably well. The K rate is just through the roof. It's up like 16% or something like that. Walk, he's got like a two ERA. The FIP looks great. I think he's he's actually run into a bit of trouble recently in terms of his starts. It's not as exceptional as it was early in the season when he was posting like 16 strikeout games followed up by 12 strikeout games. I think he's more like kind of settling in a little bit, which is, again, it's just the natural hitter adjustment back to the pitcher. Once they start to see the book open up and see six, seven starts and his sample size start to grow on what he's doing differently. And he sequences his pitch differently. He's using his off speed more, which is the theme you're going to see across a lot of pitchers, but what he's doing, I think is sustainable. I just don't know if it's sustainable at a two ERA rate. You know, I think that he's going to be in contention for the Cy Young, but uh, um, I, I'm really interested to see what he adjusts back to the hitters because we're clearly seeing some hitter adjustment. Um, now it's just a matter of time before Cole figures something else out or the Astros figure something else out for him to make him an even better pitcher than he's been. But he's an easy, easy breakout guy. Yeah, he's outstanding, and I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit that is his teammate in Charles Morton, who yeah. has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, you know, he's striking out 31% of the batters he's facing with a sub-10% walk rate. He is just pure filth out there. And ever since he left Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, he showed a little bit of an increase there. But when he came to Houston and he said that there's something there in Houston, and they mentioned it with um, using Verlander's off-speed pitch more when he came over. Now Cole's doing it. And um, Morton did it as well. Once he came over that direction, really started increasing his um, it was a slider use. Yeah, sliders through the roof right now. 
Uh, this year it's only 26%, which is down almost 15% from last year. But he's using his curveball at, at 30%. So you got a curveball and a slider mix of essentially 56% of your pitches. That's going to stymie a lot of people and um, makes for a very, very effective arm. And the peripherals are all showcasing – uh, not much regression, which is absolutely insane. When you have an ERA of in the 2.04, yes, the Sierra is 3.04 and the XFIP's 2.84, but would you complain about any of those? Probably not. No. Especially especially where you were drafting him, which was many thought he many thought he could have been one of the guys to lose a rotation spot to like Brad Peacock or something. This was yeah, what people funny. thought of Charlie Morton at the beginning of the season, and he's been absolutely amazing. And it's pretty crazy when you look at that, that rotation is – uh, you got McCullers, who's good. He's not the highlight guy anymore. Keuchel, people almost forget he's even in the rotation half the time. Uh, it, it's Gary Cole, it's Justin Berliner, it's Charlie Morton running the show. If you had to pick one for the Cy Young out of those three, who do you pick? Um, I'll actually go Justin Verlander here. Uh, he's I, I think he's just, he, he, he just has the track record. of it. As I said, I think there's a chance that maybe Cole isn't as dominant as he was early in the season in April. I think that there's a chance that that the hitters are just back and that Cole just maintains like a nice three, five year race. Season. And, he's, and then he's gonna put him top five and just Verlander's been through this before. He knows what he's doing. I just, I'll bet on the senior here, the, the seniority of, of, uh, of Verlander. I like it. Who's your second surprise pitcher? Yeah, it's, it's Blake Snell. I think that a lot of people pegged him as a breakout after kind of his adjustments last year. He moved around on the rubber, but I think it's more just him developing as a pitcher, uh, honing his command, which has been, which has had a really nice jump. I know that, you know, I think it's down about 3% overall, or his walk rate's down 3%. But we often really hope guys could eventually cut their walk rate by 3%, but it rarely, rarely happens just because it's just so hard. Like, at, at some point, to get to the major league level, you've consolidated your mechanics enough and you've found what's working for you. That further adjustment to hone command even more is more just a rep thing. So you really don't see it between a guy's, like, what is he, 20, 25. You don't see it between a guy's 24, age 24 and age 25 season. But what he's done is, is fantastic. You know, his strike rates up, his walk rates down. Everything looks pretty sustainable. I think that you're kind of seeing almost a passing of the torch from Chris Archer, who's a guy we'll get into for my disappointing arms. But you're seeing a little bit of a passing of the torch to Snell here. I think that the Rays actually have a relatively underrated one too in, in Archer and Snell, if Archer bounces back a little bit, which I kind of expect him to do. But right now, Snell's been the better pitcher. And the rest of the season, I'll probably take Snell over Archer, honestly, in terms of what he's able to do. Um, he's the three-pitch guy as well. He's a solid um, off-speed three pitches, but he's a true four-pitch guy overall. Um, a really nice change-up slider combo. Obviously mixes in that change-up to uh, – to right-handed hitters, actually, he's lefty, so he's thrown. So he gets that arm side fade away from righties, and and the slider into lefties has been fantastic. Really good combination of two pitches there. Um, I think he's another like Bueller, Snell. I really like Jose Barrios. I like a couple of other guys. Like you, there's going to be a few of these guys that kind of jump into that tier of what what we've seen from like Aaron Nola this year, who's now solidified himself. I'd, I'd argue is like a top ten pitcher in baseball easily. Um, you know, there's obviously guys fall in, guys fall out based on age, and we're getting to the peak now where we have a lot of the aces we're looking at, Kluber, um, Scherzer, Bumgarner even's kind of falling out too, but a lot of these guys are, are hitting above like that 32 age window, and you're going to start to see a lot of guys kind of sweep up from under them and start to jump up, and I, I really like some of these guys um, in Snell and Bueller, as I mentioned, Barrios, and even some others that I think can really kind of gain a foothold and become uh, showcase starters for the respective teams. Even if the teams aren't that good, the Rays obviously I think have a real, actually a relatively underrated farm system in terms of the pieces they have organizationally. Um, and they've done some weird things this year with uh, with their how they're using their pitchers. But I, I almost I, I don't even mind what they're doing. Honestly, they're being almost innovative to me as opposed to 
something that I think people think's bad for baseball, whatever. But um, Blake Snell's fun. I think he's a really fun pitcher. Oh, Blake Snell's very good, and uh, the opener thing's kind of kind of intriguing. I kind of get a kick out of it. So it's weird, yeah. I think some people don't like it, but I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the, the philosophy, the philosophy behind it, makes sense to me. If yeah, you it's just, if, we, get, we get terrified of things actually being practiced, like yeah. You know, Pull, don't use your closer in the ninth inning because there's a higher leverage situation. Everyone throws their hands up, and then when you see it work yeah. a couple times, it's like, oh, okay. But it's like if you get Romo, if you you know if we get Romo and some of these other guys going early in games, and it's like you're getting your first looks at a lineup. Use a use a better reliever there. Like use like Jose yeah. Alvarado, who's been really good for them. Like use him to lead off a game. Why exactly. not? You don't have any other exactly. pitchers. Like screw it. At this point, you're already being brash enough. Like yep. let it all happen. I completely agree. Uh, my number two is a 29-year-old that I swore was 33 or 34 by now. <laughs> and um, he's nothing flashy by any means, but what he's doing is should not be overlooked, and that's Rick Porcello. Um, yeah. A guy with a 3.74 ERA, he has a career high in K percentage so far in this, this season, about 23%. He's walking less than 5% of the batters he faces. Uh, a home run per fly ball of less than 10%, which – in the national and the American League East is very very good against those teams. Given I think he's played the Rays a few times and some other bad teams, but a near 50% ground ball rate. This guy has been way better than I thought he'd be this year. He had that Cy Young year and then last year went back to just being the rough Rick Porcello that many thought he would be. And he's putting up career like numbers right now. His last couple starts have been a bit of a regression possibly, but uh, overall the, Rick Porcello is definitely a guy that is outperforming what I thought he would do. And if you look at all the advanced stats, he's not really – it's not really an accident. So that's my number two. I like it. My number three, I'm jamming in here because, again, I'm a Cardinal fan. Uh, <laughs> and I'm actually jamming in here purely based on ERA. Um, Michael Walker, 288 ERA right now. And obviously I don't think it's fully sustainable. I was just writing an article on him, so I figured I'd have a little bit more to say, a little bit deeper insight in terms of what he's doing. But uh, he's been kind of weird this year, honestly. He's been using his curveball like 35% of the time. And this was for about the first seven starts of the, of the season for him. 37, 35% of the time on an OO count, he's literally just using to steal strikes. And he's kind of gone away from that. But what he's actually done is strung together really, really low fastball usage for four starts in a row. He's below 45% on fastball usage for the first time in his career. He's never had back-to-back starts where his fastball usage was below 45% in his entire career. And he's four starts in a row with it now below 45%. He's, he's basically pivoting into a, what we're seeing a lot of other pitchers do, using their off-speed more. He's using his cutter more, actually, a little bit, almost making that his predominant hard pitch. Um, change of usage is up. Curveball usage is up. Um, he's kind of a guy that I think has escaped some regression. Um, but at the same time, I actually think there's probably more whiffs in the basket for him. I know he's, his strikeout rate's actually down a little bit from the prior year. And his walk rate's actually up a little bit, too. Um, I think long-term, he's probably more like a 3.75 to 4 ERA guy. But I, well, I wanted to sneak him in here just because I kind of was interested in him. Overall, I think we're seeing a better version of Walker than we've ever seen. And, again, he's kind of another guy. He's just a kind of forgotten guy in this Cardinals rotation here. Nicholas has been unbelievable in terms of his efficiency, what he's able to do. I see probably more aggression with him than anyone else on the staff. But uh, but that's, I think, just, again, more a matter of just he's 10 starts, 11 starts in or whatever now. Like, we're going to start to see guys adjust back. We were talking about this with Cole. We're talking about this with a lot of the guys. The, the bread and butter of baseball, why I love baseball is because when – what hitters do to adjust back and what pitchers do to then adjust forward. It's one of those things. Like, you make changes. You get a lot of guys starting really early in the season. Like Patrick Corbin, another one who's kind of teetered off a little bit in terms. He's had some weird stuff with velocity that I can't really reconcile personally. But he's, his slider usage is up so much and he's commanded that pitch so well. The book on him was that he really didn't use that slider that much. 
So when you're seeing, you go in the box for those first five games, you, you haven't seen Corbin all year, and all of a sudden he's throwing a slider 40% of the time. You're like, whoa, I'm expecting this pitch 20% of the time. You know, he's using a two-strike counts maybe, et cetera. And then you start seeing him throw it, oh, oh, regardless of just completely, you know, just doesn't care what count it is. He's throwing that pitch a ton. You, this is adjustment. It's wild. Baseball adjustment is the bread and butter of baseball. And uh, I think you just got to keep an eye out for it almost in every respect. And the guys who can continually adjust back to hitters and vice versa, the guys who become elite. And that's why, you know, we're talking about guys like Verlander for a very long time. We're talking about guys, you know, amazing hitters like Lindor um, and probably even a little bit early to consider him an elite hit, or an unbelievable hitter. He's only been three years in the major leagues or whatever, but Trouty, all these guys. Judge, too, is another one adjusted back, and then we get a really nice sample of him being successful over an extended period of time. So adjustments of bread and butter. Yeah, it's, it's a giant chess game that baseball is, and that's why I, I like to tell people is when they when they say a prospect comes up and they go off, I, I always tell them, and you listen to any of these yeah. guys, like John Smoltz is on TV right now, they'll tell you, hey, when a rookie comes up, we see how well he can hit a fastball. Yeah, and then once he gets a fastball, forty percent breaking ball, and it's like, how you doing? Exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's a whole game behind it, and then they'll figure it out. So it is fun to see. But yeah, Waka has been quite the surprise this year. I'm 100 percent on board with you there. Didn't think he'd be as good as he's been. It's going to be good, but not this good. Yeah. Um, my number three is a guy that's coming off a thoracic outlet surgery, Tyson Ross. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a guy that went undrafted in your fantasy drafts, Most and likely, yeah. <laughs> uh, a low three ERA. And I thought after. They let him go for like 140 pitches or whatever it was in Arizona. I thought there was no way that arm was coming back to earth. And he's continued to do it. Start after start, he's got a 9.55K per nine. He's getting his ground balls. Like he's not to the level he used to. He used to be almost a 60% plus ground ball guy. Only getting 44% this year, which is not great. But then again, he's pitching in Petco Park. So we don't have to worry as much about that. He's striking out 25% of the batters he faces. These are career numbers. His highest he's had was a 25.8. Back in 2015, this is stuff that looks great. He's not walking anybody. As long as that arm stays on, which is a big concern of Mike's, that's not many. The, the list of guys that successfully had a career after that surgery, you can count on one hand. So I, I'm very hesitant at all times to go all in with Tyson Ross, but you got to respect what he's doing. He's been darn impressive to start the season. Agree. Agree entirely. Let's talk about some disappointing bats. Your number one uh, is one that's very tilting to me, so give it to me. Yeah, yeah, it's Marcel Zuna, another Cardinal here, shocker. But uh, <laughs> I wrote a column <laughs> on him actually a bit ago uh, in that first week of the season when we got a, a final look at him actually being pulled out of the uh, that Miami offense, which I think a lot of people don't realize how good they were. I mean, he was hitting behind Yelch and Stan. And line of protection something I think is a little bit overrated. And I know Mike Petrello of StatCast kind of doesn't believe in it. A lot of other people don't. And I believe the statistics excuse me, behind it and not being true. So I, whatever, throw that caution to the wind. But he hasn't been good at all. But the weird thing is that he's actually, right now, when you look at his full sample of his season, he's actually swinging and missing less than he ever has. His striker rate's down. Swinging strike rate's a little bit lower. He actually polished off some of the holes in his swing, too. Breaking balls off the plate, he started to lay off a little bit more. And this was actually – a a thing earlier in the season too. This is like second week of April. We saw him doing a lot of these things. And, you know, if you look at the holes in his swing at that time in mid April, he was starting to kind of shorten them. And, you know, we've seen the deterioration, the strikeout rate kind of drop. It was up around like almost 30%. Now it's down almost 20%. Really weird. He had that really odd scenario where he like slept in. I don't know like what I just, I don't like reading into the, the personality issues of guys at all. Like it just doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't have enough insight. I don't think anyone has enough insight to be able to definitively say things about a guy's personality unless you're a player in the clubhouse and you're never going to throw a guy under the bus. So I don't want to speculate on that at all. But what we've seen is actually him 
I think he's actually improved from the prior year, even though the production is just completely bonkers in terms of what he's being able to produce. I think he's virtually on the on the on the fringe of almost blowing up for the Cardinals in terms of in a good way and posting a, a too much stretch where he hits you know 20 home runs or something like that, eight 16 home runs right now, window bats over 300 and is able to kind of reconcile and balance out everything. Um, you know, I I don't know. I'm encouraged by everything I'm seeing, which is weird because the production's been terrible. I know a lot of people are kind of tired of him in St. Louis already. It's like two months into the season, he's adjusting. Like I think that just give the guy, you know, give him a little bit more time. I think that fundamentally, what we're seeing is not really much of a change in skill set. Maybe we're actually just kind of seeing him being. Maybe the expectations were just too high in terms of what we saw last year. I never thought he was going to be a 120 RBI guy again. I saw him more in that 90 to 100 window. I think he could still get there with a couple strong months. The Cardinals offense has never been one to kind of rely on a big power hitter, but um, I wouldn't be stunned to see him kind of blow up a little bit in these next few months and become a really good hitter and everyone just kind of silence very quickly in terms of what he's able to produce. So I'm hoping for that. No, I agree. He's been disappointing so far in, in our Slack chat. There's a Cardinals fan that keeps going about how bad Ozuna is and he's, he's uh, garbage and all this stuff. I'm like, guys, go look at his advanced stats. Go look at his yeah, stat cast it's, it's weird. It's, it's so weird, honestly, because you rarely see guys with like who are cutting – holes out of their swing and not just producing. So I don't know. He's hitting the ball harder than he ever has too. It's, exactly. it's very odd. His stat cast profile is crazy. And uh, I agree. I would not be shocked if he goes on one of those monster stretches and uh, really puts one together, especially the heats up in St. Louis. It could get real good. Yeah. Um, my first disappointing guy, and no, it's not because I'm a Giants fan, but Cody Bellinger has been massively disappointing to me. Uh, pe- people were coming into the season comparing, you know, Bellinger to Judge, Bellinger to Hoskins. Hoskins been a little disappointing as well. But um, you look at Bellinger, he's hitting 237 with a 302 OBP, a 443 slugging, a WRC plus a 104, which, you know, that's barely above average. So some people might like that, but not for what people expected with with uh, Cody Bellinger. He's, he's only walking 8.5% of the time, striking out over 22% of the time. There's just a lot of things that concern me. And obviously his insane year last year is not sustainable. You know, a 315 ISO is pretty tough to keep up with, but a 206 ISO is pretty darn bad. Um, he, he's just not getting it done. He, he's not running at all. He had 10 steals last year. He's He's been about a, an 8 to 10 steal guy in the minors, and he doesn't look like he's going to do that this year. He, he's got a little bit of pop going, but maybe it was a bigger fluke than people thought last year. Maybe he goes on a hot stretch, but I'm not seeing it. He looks – there's a – we saw it in the postseason and late into the season last year. There's a big hole in his swing that the uh, some pros are finding. Like we talked about the whole chess game. They, they found it with Cody Bellinger, and he hasn't quite adapted completely yet. So maybe it changes, and it does. But for now, he is a uh, one of the disappointments to start the season for me. I agree with you. Yeah, he's been interesting. Who's your number three? Or Another two? big big power lefty bat here, uh, Joey Gallo. Um, almost perplexing. I, I guess you could say he's disappointing. Everyone, I think, I saw a huge breakout coming for him in terms of what he's able to produce. But I had I had that breakout in mind, thinking that. He would sustain what he's done for his entire career, which is swing, swing for the fences, swing to right center for the fences, swing really hard, strike out a lot, but also walk a lot. And what we've seen is his his walk rates kind of dip down a lot. And the weird, weird, weird thing with it is that we're getting all this, and he's he's consciously putting the ball the other way more. And it's almost like if you want to say that a shift has gotten into a hitter's head, you might say that for Gallo in terms of where he's putting the ball because he's he's consciously going oppo more. And generally, when you go oppo more, and regardless of whether side of the bat. So if you're lefty and you and you force yourself to try to hit the other way, the ball's going to go in the air more often than not. If you look at average exit velocity of any hitter based around the field, it's going to be highest for right to the pull side. It's going to be a little bit lower to center, and it's going to be bad to right field. And 
obviously for a righty to right field, that's oppo, lefty to left field, it's oppo. And he's consciously going there when he's up 10% on his opposite field batted balls. And I kind of get the idea of him trying to steal hits, but it's not working. And I almost kind of want to relate this back to what Chris Bryant did at the beginning of last year, where he consciously went the other way, which is something I think was relatively overlooked. I, I Bryant was one of my guys this year. I, I love Bryant. I'm a Cardinals fan, but he's an unbelievable player in terms of what he's able to do and the adjustments he makes and how much power he has to right center, which is always something that I think ba- I baseline almost pure raw power off of guys like J.D. Martinez were able to go to right center 400 feet with balls. It's just something that always baffles me and, encourages me in terms of the overall profile of the player. But but Brian did this last year. He went to the right center of the more at an elevated rate, and he came out and said that he was trying to stay inside the ball more and consciously doing that. Everyone's like, oh, he's not as good. And it's like, well, he's hitting fly balls the other way, which on average, you know, the general baseline for that batted ball to that direction for a right-handed bat and for Gallo to be a left-handed bat the left field is not good. So I guess you're trying to gamble and you're trying to kind of convince yourself that I want to hit it there because there's players aren't there. But it's just really hard to square up balls the other way. And if I'm Gallo, I think I just revert back to what I was doing last year. And I think that naturally, I think he gets better over time at pitch recognition. He gets better over time at his his ability to cover the plate. And maybe he beats the shift. I just think if I'm Gallo, I go back to what I'm doing well. I was doing well at instead of trying to kind of reinvent the wheel. And I I just – I have some confidence. Again, I guess the disappointing bats for me are more guys I'm a little bit confident in. But – uh. It's just an odd scenario. I don't think anyone saw this coming from Gal that he would become a, a less powerful of a hitter and try to go the other way. He's still got 15 home runs, but it's just it's just not valuable given that he's Kang like 30% of the time or whatever, or above 30% of the time, and he's walking lower than he ever has. Because even with the – and then you relate this back to fantasy. Like in OBP leagues, I love Joey Kelly because I thought that the baseline was a 10% walk rate. Well, now you're looking like an 80% walk rate below a league average, and you're like, well, this is the Gal I thought we were going to get. So I just didn't see this coming with him yeah. going the other way, and it's a bummer. Well, yeah, it's crazy because, like you just said, the OBP thing is you're looking at that. His OBP is below 300. Yeah. Like he's it's it was just almost so the average shocking. last year, I think. It's just like, ugh, rough. Yeah, you you wanted him in an OBP league for that power up because he wasn't going to kill you like in an average league. But man, it's it's brutal. Um, my number two. Let me tell you if this is good. A 48 percent, no, 41 percent this year. Medium contact rate, so he's not doing that well at all. Um, he's grounding out 65% of the time with only 14 and a half line drives, and he plays in Coors Field, so you don't want to be hit on the ground. And that's Ian Desmond. Uh, this guy has been just dreadfully, dreadfully bad this year. Like this is back to the Nationals days when they wouldn't give him a contract bad, uh, hitting a buck 76 again. The Babbitt's 189, but I guess. If you're just hitting it medium to soft on the ground, what's going to happen? You're not going to. He has a negative 1.1 WAR, and he plays in Colorado. Like this is this is bad. Striking out over 26% of the time. Nothing looks good when you look at any intense metrics. I have not found one yet that someone can tell me yes, he's going to be fine. He has a 45 WRC plus. I think Cole Calhoun's the only one saying hold my beer. Like it is bad. <laughs> it is really really bad. The stuff Ian Desmond's done. And he. I don't have any of him, but I know he's killing some people out there. Like, I'd be shocked if he's even still on people's rosters that drafted him without the deepest of leagues. So my number two is Ian Desmond. Yeah, he's been rough. Uh, I, I'd be stunned, too, because they got him for, like, another couple of years. So, uh, And they got some young talent. They got, like, Ronald Tapia. Some really good Steve young Vittal. talent. Like, you want those guys to play every day. And I get that the win-now vibe is to kind of go Desmond, but 
it's just been terrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely horrible. Uh, go with your third one because yeah. this is one that disappointed me as well. Yeah, Brinson, it's Lewis Brinson uh, of the Marlins here. I know a lot of people I, – I, so I have this kind of thing. I call a lot of guys StatCast darlings, which is kind of my yeah. – like me just throwing a little bit of shade at some guys that maybe don't succeed after purely just looking at StatCast numbers. But he was kind of a StatCast darling because he didn't play well at all last year, but when he were able to baseline out how hard he was hitting the ball, it was great. He was barreling balls really well when he did hit the ball and make contact. And he didn't draw that back to like whatever. He's, his pitch recognition is terrible. He's swinging through fastballs over the plate. But I, it's just, I just, it's tough. I have a really hard time with this one because I really, really liked him in terms of his skill set. And the reality is, it's just really tough. Is we don't see five tool players at the major league level often at all. I think that's something that the, the five tool player potential is thrown around so much with outfielders in the minor leagues and on top 100 prospect lists that it's just like when you get to the major leagues, like a really good percent of the time, you get like three of those five tools. And with Brinson, we've literally seen almost like maybe one or two. And they're on the two sides of the ball that on the, I guess, fantasy side, you don't really care about, which is the glove and the speed, really. But he's been really rough. He can't it's just the biggest thing. The most concerning thing to me is that he's not really even squaring up any pitch. Like, that's the biggest thing is like he's having a lot of trouble with fastballs and breaking balls. And like you'll see a lot of the time guys who are pure fastball hitters. And I just really wish we had like a baseline where he was average around fastballs and we were able to be like, okay, so he's hitting fastballs well. I'm not worried about that. Let's figure out the breaking ball side of things. Let's get him down like a 28% strikeout rate and figure it out from there. But I don't even know where we start in terms of breaking him down production-wise. Like he's not hitting fastball at the major league level. Like did we just completely miss misrank this guy in terms of how he's producing? Like this is, this is rough. Like I, I really don't – I hate overreacting to small samples like this, but – I, there's there's not a lot to look at here. I, I mean, there's certain guys like this who would just never manifest. I know he's still relatively young, but he's not like 23. I think he's more 24, 25. And it's, you just really, I really wish we just had something to hang on to in terms of his production. We don't. And I, I'm concerned. I would say I'm concerned because he's already 25. I mean, you, you I, we're not going to see like him drop his strikeout rate like 20% in the next year. Like no one's ever done. He's 32% of the time right now. So he's not going to drop. It's like 25 and become viable. Like the, the Babbitt's really low in with a hard hitch, sir. Maybe you can kind of get that up a little bit, but then is he like a 220 hitter with plus defense and some speed? Like, okay, that's not bad, but it's not top 10 prospect where I had him perpetually year over year. Cause I really like the skill set. So I just is more just me venting because I was mad because <laughs> I really liked the kid. I thought he was going to be really good. And it's just, he's 24. Like I'm going to give him some more time. I don't want to completely fade him, but maybe the skills that were major league ready are the skills that just aren't as valued as the bat. And we, they need bat needs to come around. I guess the best thing is that he's in Miami where they just kind of don't care. You can play him every day and have him figured out, which is again, maybe another good thing to do. But right now it's, it's not been encouraging for Brinson. No, I'm with you. He's been super, super disappointing for me as well. My third one uh, is a guy who disappointed me. I liked him because he had multi-position eligibility. And that's Marvin Gonzalez of the Houston Astros. And it's really weird because you look at his, his stats from last year when it comes to, you know, line drive, ground ball, fly ball percentages. You look at his pull rate. You look at his hard contact, medium contact. Almost all of it's the same. He's actually slightly like a percentage point higher in hard contact this year than he was last year. But then you look at his it's just basics of the basics. He's striking out 25.5% of the time, which is up over 6% from last year. He's walking about the same, but the ISO is tremendously down. The BABIP's down. Every metric is down when it comes to that. So it makes me wonder if, if he's just I, – I guess i got to dig it even deeper on him, but is it bad luck when he's still hitting the ball hard, he's still pulling the ball, he's still hitting fly balls, he's hitting line drives, he's doing all that stuff just the same as he was last year. 
but you have a, a Babbitt that's 70 points lower than it was last year. Again, the ISO's bad. The WRC plus is bad. The Wobe is bad. Everything, it all just adds up because the ball's not falling onto the ground, basically. So it's something I'm really curious about. Um, but as a whole, he's been massively disappointed as he was one of the best stories of last season, and he's very disappointing to start this season. Let's talk about your three disappointing arms. Who is your first? Yeah, my first is I just had a column actually come out on Chris Archer um, on Resball. That was my Monday column here. Um, he's been really weird. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of just expect him to be in the decline, and I think that there's some things that back that up. His fastball veal is down very, very slightly. Some other things are kind of wonky that you'd kind of expect with some aging. You know, he's about to hit his 30-year-old. Um, he's about to turn 30, I think, in a couple months or by the end of the season, he's 30. Um, he's been weird. I, I don't know if I say that he's on a sharp decline. I actually think he's maybe regressed more than everyone expected him to, and that's an issue. And I know um, maybe the command is a little bit wonky this year, et cetera, but the thing that I noticed is actually that his changeup's been better. So if you present to me at the beginning of the season that Chris Archer's changeup is better than it ever has been, I would have guessed that he's a top 20 pitcher in baseball. And, like, I would have been relatively confident. If you're telling me that the one pitch, the one hand is the hitter that he's always kind of had maybe a little bit more troubles. I think he's always been an even splits guy because the slider's been so good. But he's starting to up that change of usage to left-hand hitters. I think it's around 20% of the time now as opposed to kind of the 15 to 10 it's been in the past. It's become almost a dominant pitch and two-strike counts for him as well, which is weird because he's always been such a fastball slider guy. And there's some conflicting evidence, too. And I looked into it for the column. Kevin Cash at the beginning of the year in April said that uh, he didn't think that Archer needed to use his change more and didn't want him to. And then you look down another 20 days or so, and then you see that he is using the change of more. So maybe this was like an archer and a pitching coach thing, and Cash was kind of out of the loop on it. But I believe Cash is more of a pitching guy than a hitting guy. So I wasn't really too sure in terms of what's going on with him. And I kind of dig into it, and it's just odd. Like, I rarely come to a point with guys where I'm kind of just like, I really don't know. And I kind of hit that with Archer. Like, his commands have been a little bit weird, but... There's nothing like demonstrably like, oh my God, look at these sliders to lefties. He's throwing them right over the plate instead of he's burying them and he's hanging pitches. His fastball's a little bit elevated, but the strikeout rate's down like 10 to 15% against left-handed hitters. Even though he's using the change up more, the change has been more of a ground ball pitch. And my theory is almost that because he's using the change up more, the slider just hasn't been as effective, which is odd. But because change ups are such field pitches, maybe there's some merit to that. Maybe there's some merit to him kind of tinkering with the pitch. The grips on a slider, the movement isn't – the pitch is a little bit flatter than it's been in prior years in terms of the horizontal movement on it and the vertical movement and the relationship of those two. But I, I just kind of am, like, confused with what Archer's doing. And I, I just – my confidence here is the fact that he's had such an elite slider for so long, I think he could get back to it. And if he gets back to it and sustains this changeup as the pitch it is, I think he could really, really bounce back against left-handed hitters here. But it's just a matter of time. Like, I – I don't know. I don't know if he's going to, you know, but if, if you had to tell me rest of the season, how good Archer is, like if I had to baseline him, I, I kind of want to make him like a top 30, 40 pitcher. Whereas I know right now he's very, very far outside of that. But I guess that I just look at the large sample of what we've seen from Archer and the fact that I think he should be able to get back to the usual slider he's always had. And that gives me a lot of confidence that if he does that, then his damage that lefties are doing is, is going to be dropped a little bit. Yeah, no, I was reading that article today. It was really good. And, um, it's an interesting philosophy because it brings us back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast about the change-ups and these pitchers um, utilizing it. And I wonder how his picks, pitch mix was today in Oakland because he pitched really well, but he was pulled early as he was starting to kind of lose control. Um, the One of the beat reporters didn't understand why he got pulled early, and then our buddy Yancey Eaton said, well, it was pretty easy because he gave up like a hit and two walks or something. 
But um, I'm curious to see how it worked because the A's do have a lot of lefties in that lineup and some lefties with some some pop. So be curious to see how that turned out as he has put together some better outings of late. But as a whole, like you said, massively disappointing. We'd all love him to be that 30 to 40 pitcher and be very, very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. My my number one, or not number one, but one of my disappointing pitchers this year. And if you're a Cubs fan, you're gonna well, you're gonna love it as a Cardinals fan. But you Darvish has been disappointed. I was gonna pick between you Darvish or Quintana. I wasn't gonna do both. But you Darvish has been massively disappointing to me. I know he's been banged up, so that's part of it. But it, it, it's just really strange because you look at him. The biggest the biggest takeaway I get from him is his walk rate's up four percent because his strikeout rate's the same. You look at his pitch mixes, essentially the same, except he's throwing his curveball 3% less than, than last year, and he barely he only threw it 6% last year. Maybe that's enough to be a huge difference. But it is, it's hard contact. Everything else, basically identical to last season. He's just walking the world. His command has gone out the window. His Ks are still great. He's just giving up more home runs, walking more guys, and he's falling into trouble. And that's the thing with you, Darvish. He's always had that kind of blow by you and get you stuff. And he hasn't shown, like in 2016, he was striking out almost 32% he faced. And most of his time with the Rangers outside of, actually every year with the Rangers outside of his first season, he's a 30% plus strikeout guy. Last year in splitting time in Chicago and Texas, he was 27. He's 27-2 again. So something's not clicking in the National League. I don't know what exactly it is, but he's been massively disappointing to me. Yeah, he's been rough. What do you got for number two? Because this is a disappointing one for many. Yeah, yeah, it's Luis Castillo, another guy I kind of dug into multiple times. I was super, super high on him coming into the year, too, in terms of his mix. I really – like, he had a – his changeup, I still think, is one of the best pure – I'll, I'll go I'll go flat on say it. One of the best pitches in baseball um, in terms of the fade on that pitch and how he commands it. And that pitch, when it's on, is, is virtually unhittable for left-handed hitters. Um, and almost as unhittable as, like, hater's slider, honestly. I know that hater's slider. The numbers on the pitch have been unbelievable. But Castillo's always had the baseline on that changeup. Um, he had some weird stuff early in the year with his his arm slot, from what I understand. I know Eno did a pretty good column on it. Eno's column actually suggested that maybe he was nursing some kind of injury. Um, but at the same time, even with that theory, I know Eno kind of qualified it by saying that, you know, the pitches themselves are still moving a ton. And he was getting really good whiffs on his changeup. And I think that he's actually kind of evened out in the last couple starts. And I think he's done relatively well. I think it still hasn't been kind of maybe as high of a of an end-up ceiling A-side that I wanted to see. But he's been he's been above above average. I think in his last four or five starts, he's a true four pitch guy. He's using that two seamer a lot. Everyone knows kind of the breakout came from the elevation of his four seam fastball, bringing up that two seamer a little bit more, adding that pitch, being able to kind of bury that pitch, get that pitch low in the zone, to be able to elevate his spin rate on his fastball is not that good. So when you when you have a low fast low spin rate on your fastball and you're leaving it in the middle and low parts of the zone, it's a little bit easier to square up. So he started elevating that pitch, which is good because he gets good good feel on. I think it's around like 95, 97 miles per hour. He's able to kind of mix that two seam fastball, change up the lefty slider to the righties even change up to righties has been unbelievable um you have the baseline of a plus plus pitch in the change up i still buy into him very much so long term in terms of what he's able to do i know the results haven't been great um but another guy kind of like in this archer window here where i kind of just expect um good things ahead for for luis castillo i really like him still yeah and i i agree he's been really good lately and he seems to be like he's so close and he gets like that sixth inning and it just kind of unravels again yeah so you, you can tell whatever he's working on starting to slowly slowly get there, or he'll turn into the next Jeff Samarjo. One of the two. <laughs> uh, great, and he blows up like the third time through the year. 
My <laughs> second guy will be Zach Godley of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Everybody thought the humidor was going to be great for the D-backs, and especially for Zach Godley. People were huge on him coming into the season, and he's been – and I believe he's on the DL now. So you're just not saying – never mind, he's still out there. But um, the ground ball rate has dropped in each of the last few years all the way down to 50%. Uh, the ERA, FIP, Sierra, XFIP, all are not looking good in the mid to low, low fours. His Ks are down this year. His walks are up. He's just leaving stuff hanging more because his curveball and his slider usage is through the roof. He's kind of falling in the, the Patrick Corbin realm of things there in Arizona, and it's just not panning out at all. He's been very, very uh, hittable, some would say. So uh, Zach Godley is my second disappointing arm. Who's your third? Yeah, my third is, is Lucas Giolito. I think another guy who a lot of people thought we had a breakout coming from in spring. Um, the main thing I want to mention with Giolito is just really interesting with him because for the longest time in his minor league career, he had what many considered like a 70-grade fastball, which on the 28-80 scales is a plus-plus pitch. So, I mean, you have 70 pitches. There aren't many guys in baseball who have 70-grade pitches. And I think a lot of people tagged that curveball as being a plus-plus pitch for a long time through the lower minor leagues. And we started to see that kick up at the major league level. and at the higher AAA, higher minors level. And it was still a relatively good pitch, but he's kind of just not really thrown it a lot. And it's only, we've almost come to the realization that it not it isn't as good of a pitch as we thought it was, which I think almost maybe has to do with a little bit of how the game has developed in terms of curveball usage. His his curveball is always a little bit, I think, a little bit slower. It had a ton of, ton, a ton of vertical break. And I think that maybe made it a little bit more appealing, possibly to scouts. I don't want to kind of assume what the scouts scout saw, but... He's a really nice pitcher's frame. I think he's like 6'5 guy, really big. Um, I, I want to say that it's more of just a, a frame thing for him in terms of being able to command his pitches because when you watch his starts, there's virtually no command. Like, we're going back to Walker Buehler. Like, that kid is command. I don't even think Jolito has control. To, so we're not even towards the right side of command yet. We're still on stage one of just gaining control, being able to throw strikes, not even spot your pitches. And that's the, that's the most painful thing to watch with him because – I always go back to that curveball. I still think it's, I still think it's a decent pitch. He's using that. I think third, uh, it's like it's not even a, it's an afterthought now in terms of his repertoire. He uses that slider to change it more to both lefties and righties, and the curveball is just kind of tossed in there. And it just seems weird to me. Like we used to look at him as a fastball curveball guy and worry about everything else developing. But you know, maybe his frame will get into it. He get, throws pretty hard. Good, good life on his two seam fastball. Um, on his fastball, just a natural run actually on his four seam. Excuse me, but. It's just been tough. Like, I, I think I had relatively high hopes for him. He's another guy who just – I think we just need to kind of deep breath it with him and wait a while. But in terms of the, the White Sox almost contention window, I think in the next two years, like by 2020, 2021, I think it's going to start to kind of creep open very slightly. And at that point, if Jaleel is not there, then I don't really know what you'd do with him. You know, I know he's a little bit rel- relatively young in terms of his age and stuff, but – He's just been a weird case for me. Like, I, I expected, if anything, two pitches, fastball, maybe a little run that two-seam fastball, and then his curveball at the major league level. And we've gotten fastball slider change with no command, and it's been weird. So more just kind of a perplexing, disappointing arm than one that I think that is is thoroughly disappointing. Maybe the expectations are just too high, which which happens, I think, a lot around the guys like this. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it could be a too, too high for a lot of us because I, I thought he'd make the next jump. He showed those improvements in the second half of last season. And it's just kind of weird. He, he just gets beat up really bad these days. Um, a guy that's getting beat up really bad is my number three, and it's Sonny Gray. I've been taking him to task on Twitter, and people have, well, Yankee fans have been disagreeing with me 
on this, but uh, it's just bad. You look at his, his pitch mix is is crazy. Uh, Fangrass hasn't thrown a cutter this year instead of get a 55% fastball last year. Now it's 32% cutter, 23% uh, or 23% cutter, 32% fastball. So essentially the same. His slider usage is the same. But the interesting one to me is he's throwing his curveball about 8% more of the time and his changeup 8% fewer of the time, which is very, very odd to me of why he's mixing that up. And then you look at his his uh, percentage of hard contact, it's up from 28 to 35%, and his medium contact is 49%. So he's given up 75, about 85% hard to medium contact. That's not a recipe for success at all. So, um, I mean, he's big. The ground balls are down. Everything's down for him. His strikeouts are down to 18%. He's down 4%. His K rate, walk rate's up 3.5% this year. It's really, really ugly with Sonny Gray. I have no idea if this is fixable because watching him from start to start, it just looks like he's throwing batting practice. Uh, lefties are absolutely destroying him. Righties are hitting him just fine. Sonny Gray looks really, really broken, and I'm getting taken a task because I said the, the A's uh, won this trade, and I want to clarify now as I'm on the show that I said they won it because they sold at his highest because he is turning into a pitcher that's – in trouble if they tried to trade him now with those, you know, he's young with contracts, cheap and everything, they would not get three potentially good prospects. So mm-hmm. that's what I was referring to. But uh, Sonny Gray, very, very disappointing to me. Yeah, Gray's oh. weird. Gray's a really weird pitcher. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't know how – like the, they talk about the fall from Grace. He fell so fast, like incredibly fast. It, it's, it's really bad. All right, last thing we're going to chat about here, and you've been – covering a lot with Ralph and again great uh, prospect guy draft guy and the draft is around the corner and you guys have been talking about some pitchers on your recent podcast why don't you talk a little bit about the MLB draft that's coming up so we can get an idea of uh, what to look for yeah no I mean I'll stay high level with it just because I know we're running late here and stuff but but it's been it's been a fun little crop of guys. I think that the, it's interesting because what we have is is really heavy on the high school side of things, high school arms particularly, which have a terrible track record at the major league level um, in terms of their development. I think like you got to go back to like Granky and some of these other guys for high school arms that have actually been successful. So I guess that's kind of a detriment to a lot of teams in investing in these guys. But at the same time, some of their upsides are so high that it's like it's and especially with the value you could get on some of them, some of them how highly they are touted and stuff. Um, it just makes for a lot of intrigue around what a team organizationally actually wants to do in terms of an investment. So what we have at the top of the board this year, we have three really polished college bats and uh, Alec Boehm, Joey Bart, and Nick Madrigal. Joey Bart's a catcher from Georgia Tech, Nick Madrigal, middle infielder from Oregon State, and Alec Boehm is a third baseman. Uh, a lot of people don't like his glove, but he's from Wichita State. And then Casey Mize is the premier pitcher um, from Auburn. He's a righty. He has like six pitches, I think he mixes through. He has a couple variations on on what he throws, but the, the premier offering that not a lot of people throw in command at well at all is a splitter. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful pitch. I know that, as I think I mentioned, Pitching Ninja earlier in this pod, but uh, but he's been diffing up some of the pitches. The, the ball just falls off the table. You know, you look at kind of speed differentials on the pitch. The pitch is actually a little bit hard, too. Um, it works really well in terms of his repertoire. He mixes in like a slider he's been tinkering with. He's got, I think, a little bit more of like a cutter as well. He's got a different changeup that is, is different from the splitter. It's a little bit slower, more of a width pitch for him. Um, really fun arm. There's been some weird stuff around the medicals with him where a lot of people maybe don't see him going 1-1 now, but I kind of expect him to go 1-1 just because the command numbers for him are stupid. He's got like 128 strikeouts to eight walks or something. It's just you just rarely get a combination of a college, uh, a polished college arm 
with this amount of pitches and what he's able to do. Um, he pitched in a pretty good conference, the SEC with Auburn. Um, I, I, he's, he's good. I think he's the one. And then you kind of get your your pick of guys. I think the Giants have the second pick. Phillies with the third pick. You know, you kind of toss around. I know the Giants are kind of in on Joey Bart. Um, Nick Madrigal is rumored for the Phils. Middle infield are kind of kind of like a Kingery build, a little bit different of a skill set than Kingery. Um, a little bit more highly touted, I think, than Kingery really ever was either. Um, but And then you get Alec Bohm. He's kind of like the big power third baseman with really, really good approach, really refined approach, who uh, I think a lot of people eventually see moving over to the first base. But that's kind of like your top tier. And then after that, it really starts to kind of turn into some weird stuff. Like, And I don't even expect the top five to be that consistent top four or whatever you want to say. Just because we always expect things to happen in drafts and then Baker Mayfield goes one and no one has any idea what's going on. It's like I expected that to happen. Like say like yeah. like I wouldn't be stunned. Like Royce Lewis last year is the number one overall pick. Yeah. He wasn't the number one overall pick until like two days before the draft. Everyone's like, oh, the twins are in this kid Royce Lewis. Like high schooler, you know, really raw. He's got all these talents. Like maybe that happens again. Maybe that happens to a guy like Jared Kalenic who's up in Wisconsin who a lot of people haven't gotten looks at. He's actually played – a more indoors than outdoors because of the weather up there, but he's a really, really polished lefty. Gets a couple of Jacoby Ellsbury comps. He's a guy I think that's going to be really good value if he falls. But another guy again that I could see like a top ten team just winging it and go with him because they see something in there that other teams aren't seeing. But um, again, a lot, a lot of high school arms. I actually think there's some of the high school arms, even though they have risk, are polished. Matt Liebertor is a lefty from uh, from Arizona high school, from an Arizona high school. He's like a six five guy. That everyone raves kind of about the intangibles with him on the pitchability side of things as opposed to having gas. And if you go to some of these other guys in the draft, like Carter Stewart, he's got gas. He's got a nasty, nasty curveball. The pitch has actually been graded out in terms of spin rate. is the highest, uh, most spin on an individual pitch that StackS has ever seen. And this is across all levels in terms of what they've graded. This happened at the perfect game last year in terms of the calculations. So maybe it's a little bit different now. But regardless, it's still it's like 98th percentile. I would guarantee that for the spin rate on the pitch. Spin rate obviously leads to a little bit more whiff side of things. So you got the baseline of Carter Stewart with a 97 mile per fastball and this fantastic curveball. And you start to think and rationalize why you might be willing to more to go in a high school pitcher when he has more. I think if I had to predict what's kind of going to happen, I think some of the high school arms are going to fall. And I think some of these later teams, you know, you get a lot of the really good teams, the Cubs uh, later around like 20s, the Yankees, the Nationals, Dodgers, some of these other teams. I think they're going to get a chance to take some really, really good high school arms. And if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to invest and develop a guy like this, I think what you might get, this is going to be one of those weird years where possibly one of these high school arms ends up being one of the better pitchers in the draft. And you look down the road and you go, wow, the Dodgers got an absolute steal with a guy like Ethan Hankins, who's been graded out as having like an 80-grade fastball. The run in his fastball is unbelievable. He had a shoulder problem in spring. Um, even a guy like Kumar Rocker, he's a really, really big guy, big righty. He throws like consistently 97-90. He has a power curveball, almost like a Lance McCullers kind of pitch. But his his baseline fastball velocity is much higher. I think his mechanics are a little bit inefficient. But um, he's got he's he's got the workhorse frame. He's like 6'5", 240, I think, in terms of his size. The kid is massive. But, um, again, another guy who can kind of fall between 10 and probably even that comp round. And then on the team side of things, you know, the, the Royals and the Rays are two teams with a lot of money to spend. And they have picks right in the middle of the first round. Then they have back-to-back picks in that compensation window. So they're going to they're gonna buy in, in some unbelievable talent here. Re- I think they're going to really move the draft in terms of who they go after and then afterwards what guys are available. Some, I mean, if you look at any mock for the middle of the rounds, middle first round is where you start to kind of get a really disparate amount of opinions in terms of who's going where and what guy. So that's really where it's going to get interesting. And I know that might kind of lose some people's attention just because you want to see where the top five guys go. You know Joey Bart, Madrigal, and all these other guys in Boehm. But um, that middle window, and I know it's, again, it's two smaller markets, but 
Rays have a really underrated farm system. I actually think the Royal system is a little bit underrated too. I've seen a lot of people knocking it, but they got three guys in the minor leagues that are all playing for Lexington right now, um, who I think is their high A team, um, who mm-hmm. are really good. And and again, really, really young. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of variability in what happens, but um, really interesting. And the draft's going to be fun. It's next Monday. I'm, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I liked a lot of those names you mentioned there as I've been slowly digging into it. Yeah, you got the main guys at the top there. Yeah. But uh, the, the trend the trend I've heard is that high school talk, and it's kind of just like who knows where it's going to go. It's it's going to be really interesting to see yeah, how really everything falls falls apart there. So will be fun to check out, and everybody should follow Lance on Twitter at Lance Brosdow to get the scoop on it, as I know he'll be tweeting yeah. stuff out, might have some yeah. gifts, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, before we wrap it up, Lance, let everybody know once again where they can find you and what you got coming up. Yeah, at Lance Braz on Twitter is the main thing. I'm trying to kick up the Instagram, at Lance Braz, all baseball stuff. Um, Big3sports.com, I'm going to be rebranding kind of the site a little bit. Kenneth Cashman of RotoWare helped me out a ton with kind of doing that stuff, um, the logo on that. But it's going to be – the theme of the site's going to be a little different. It's going to be more an aggregation of all my work as opposed to a site for various different articles. So hopefully it's going to be a little bit consolidated look at everything I'm doing. Write a little bit for Beefy Bronx. I'm a staff writer for Viva Albertos, Rasball. Do the Rasball Prospect Cop podcast with Ralph, who we've kind of alluded to a little bit. Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. I'm editing with them. I've written a couple of articles over the last week for them and doing their podcast as well. So I'm all over the place. But Twitter's the main way to corral everything. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, it's awesome, man. I appreciate you joining me, guys. Go give him a follow if you're not already. Check out his work. He's one of the very bright, up-and-coming young voices in this this deal. He's always got something good to talk about. And that's why I believe he's a third-time guest on the show. So yeah, uh, I, I love having Lance on. I'm probably going to hit him up again in another couple of months and talk some more baseball Keep with him up. or something. But Please do. Uh, I, I love checking in with Lance, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. But until next time, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 97. Catch you guys later.